So, in order to make this a little more formal, book. this book is a part of the Tipitaka. The Tipitaka is what you see behind me here in the middle and on the left side different versions. This is the Tipitaka and the commentaries and sub-commentaries. What that means is the teaching of the Buddha. In brief, this is the teaching of the Buddha. And so it may seem odd that in a meditation course I should pull out a book because it seems like maybe we're going to study. And if you study, then you have to think. No? And thinking can get in the way of meditating. But what you'll see, I'm going to try to go through actually here. I think this is a good idea. We picked up the Anguttara Nikaya. Anguttara Nikaya is a book of teachings about lists of things. And so there's not much thinking involved. And what you should see is that actually for the most part it's direct meditation instruction, advice and exhortation. Because listening to the Dhamma is not for the purpose of giving you wisdom, it's for the purpose of giving you encouragement and giving you the map by which you can, like a treasure map, you can take it to find the goal which is wisdom. As the Buddha said, Akataro Tathagata. The, the Tathagatas are, the Buddhas are only ones who show the way, they only point the way. We have to walk, walk ourselves. So that's what this is going to be. It's a way of uh, setting us in the right direction. Which means setting our minds in the right direction. Because you start to learn as you stay in the meditation center longer because we're free from all the diversions. So you start to see how the mind plays tricks on you. It starts to build up defilements, attachments, starts to build up aversions and delusions. Very easy to become obsessed and uh, overwhelmed by the emotions in the mind. This is why I said about Mara, no? Mara tries to trick you. I think Rochelle had quite a bit of Mara this course. Thank you. <laughs> sometimes it tricked her, sometimes she managed to trick it. But I pointed out because this is, this is really the goal of the practice. This is great to hear. It's a great thing for us to hear. I'm not worried about you. Because we hear this, this is the fight that the Buddha made. If you ever see those movies where the Buddha fought Mara, now you understand all oh, kind of what it means. Fight Mara, fight Mara, what does it mean? And say, oh, these things I have inside. So we'll go through here. I'm just going to pick out the things that I think are most useful, most pertinent. This is the list of ones. So these lists are short. Each of them has one entry. Easy to remember. So here the Buddha says, Nahang bhikkave anyang ekadammampi. O bhikkhus. The Buddha uses the word bhikkhu because bhikkhu means a monk. 
or a beggar even could mean. But it's the word the Buddha used to mean to refer to the monk. And that's because in this in the in in the in the audience there would be monks and then there would be lay people. But he put the monks at the at the top. And it's like what he means is every all of you, monks and everyone else. But it also has some connotation toward, um, in regards to the meaning of the word bhikkhu, that he wasn't always just talking about monks, because bhikkhu can mean many different things. A monk is someone who stays alone, no? So the word monk in English doesn't have to mean someone who has robes, it could just mean someone who stays by themselves. Monk comes from mono, no? To stay alone. The same bhikkhu can, can mean a beggar, one who bhikkhati, who begs for food. Same as the English word beg is bhik, it's the same language. Uh, but it can also mean bhayang ikatiti, that's what they say, bhayang ikati, sees the fearsomeness. You see how fearsome the mind can be. So he said, this is, this is, because this is important, he's going to talk about the mind. He says, do you all see who, how fearsome the mind can be? You who have the potential to see how fearsome the mind can be. He says, I tell you, Nahang bhikkave anyang ekadamampi Samanupasami I don't see any single dhamma, single thing. Dhamma here just means something that really exists. It's a part of reality. I don't see any one thing. Yang evang abhavitang akkamaniyang hoti. That is, when you don't train it, is useless. Akkamaniyang means can't be used for anything. You can't do anything with it. When untrained, I don't know of anything that, when untrained, is as useless as the untrained mind, or undeveloped, abhavita means undeveloped. So we think if you don't develop your body, or <coughs> if you don't develop your reflexes, or you don't train yourself in this way or that way, it's useless, But the Buddha said. Uh, Yatidang bhikkhavi, yatayidang, yatayidang bhikkhavi titang, titang is the mind. The mind that is undeveloped is useless. So this is our first list. How many things in it? One. The mind. Then the Buddha goes on to say, I don't know of any one thing. This is the curious thing. Next list. I don't know any one thing that when developed is so useful as the developed as the mind. The developed mind, I say, is useful. 
are the things that are useful, the developed mind is useful. So this is the this is a very simple teaching. This is, but it's the basis of our training here. The mind, the mind is that which knows an object, that part of our experience right here and now that is aware, aware of the sound of my voice. It's what lets you see, what lets you hear. Without the mind, you'd be like a dead person. A dead person has eyes and ears and nose and tongue and body, but they don't see, hear, smell, taste, feel, because they have no mind. But even people who have a mind, no? but have an undeveloped mind, what's it like when your mind is undeveloped? When you live at home, when you work in the world, when you deal with other people, when you in interact with society. We spend a lot of our lives training ourselves, no? training our minds whipping our minds into shape, you might say, no? forcing our minds to be in this shape or that shape. So we've really trained our minds even before we come here. We've trained our minds to uh, to fit into our idea of who we are. You know how sometimes when you look in the mirror after a long time you don't recognize yourself? Because you don't realize who you really are, you don't realize the, what you really look like. And after a while you say, is that really me? So what we do in, with our mind is we build it up into this idea of who we are. We say, I'm this person, and everyone else is looking at us like, wow, that person's all stressed out and miserable, and we think, oh, everyone else thinks I'm a wonderful person and so on. And maybe we can trick some people as well. But we train our mind by clinging, you know, by forcing, by trying to make our minds fit into the idea of who we should be. You know, I'm not that kind of person. I don't. I don't. Uh, don't accept this part of myself. But then, when we come here, it's like we're looking in the mirror. We open it up, and we say, "Oh, that's who I really am." down underneath this and you realize you're just pretending you realize that all the work you've done to train yourself isn't really hasn't really brought you anywhere you haven't met with much success it's just a facade it's just what you show to other people so what the Buddha means by training here is that is, isn't the training that we do in the world it isn't the forcing the mind To, to be this way or that way. But even in that sense, you can see how it becomes useful. If you're working in business, it's really admirable sometimes to see business people, no? how clever they can be, how efficient they can be, how they've trained their minds in a certain way. Sometimes they can be very, very brutally efficient. 
the point where they cause great suffering for other beings. But they have great efficiency because their mind works like a computer. People who use computers as well, computer programmers, when you learn to program the computer, you can. it's amazing what you can do. You can. The mind is incredible, even without meditation. And you can train your mind. In Burma, there are monks who can remember the whole of the Tipitaka. They can remember it in their mind. I tried learning just very, very bits and pieces. I learned one, started to learn one sutta. And it's amazing, as you go through it, this one monk, he looked at me and he said, where do you keep it? Where do you keep all that? He was actually a meditation teacher. He wasn't just a simple monk. But he found it very interesting that the mind can keep it, because the mind isn't keeping. There's no room in the brain for all that. But the mind has the power to connect, to make connections. Maybe there is room in the brain, but the brain has to store it in a certain way. And so the mind changes the layout of the brain in such a way that it can remember these things. And it can be of great use. It can be of use in business, it can be of use in society. When you learn to teach, for example, I, I used to give talks, and when I gave talks, Five years ago, six years ago, I think, I think I deleted them all. But I used to have them on my website. I deleted them because they're quite dry. And now some people, sometimes I give a talk and people say, "Oh, it was a good talk." This is a, this is the training of the mind. It's not bragging. After years and years of doing something, you your mind becomes trained. One of, the, one of the special qualities of what we're doing here is that it's, like it's, it's reaching the very, very root of the mind, the very root of our experience. What I mean is that when you train in, in business or when you train in society or, or giving talks or so on, you have to use the building blocks of, of your experience to, to do that. Uh, to, to undertake that act. For instance, when you're giving a talk, there's many things involved with it. When you're up on stage giving a talk, it's not easy. I've given talks in front of very large crowds because they always want the Westerner, oh look, he can speak Thai, for instance. Let him give a talk. I once gave a talk. I've got pictures of it in front of the whole city of Chiang Mai in Thailand. Not the whole city, but all, many, many Buddhists. It was a big celebration. First the two big monks gave talks and then I was the third one at like midnight and everyone was asleep. When I got to get in there's a big throne, they put me up on this Dhamma throne. <laughs> it wasn't a very good talk because I was nervous and I didn't speak Thai very well. But you see, you have to deal with it. And you, so you deal with the nervousness and then you forget something and you feel embarrassed and, and you lose your train of thought or you say something and uh, it's the wrong thing, or it sounds dumb. And then the audience starts fidgeting, and you think, oh, oh, are they really listening to me? And there's all of this going on in your mind, and remembering things, no, in order. 
and, and then see what happens. The biggest thing is that you do get distracted. You get distracted by these emotions, worry, and maybe you get angry or frustrated. Uh, and, and so on. maybe you get off track and you start spouting nonsense. Uh, can be based on delusion, can be based on your own laziness, the greed in the mind. You just like having fun and goofing off and laughing and so on. And then you lose your train of thought. So the, the skills are all there. Meditation is working on those skills. It's working on the basis of the, the base of the mind. This is why the Buddha said, once the mind is trained, it's like a pure piece of cloth. And maybe you don't want a pure piece of white cloth, but the choice, the, the choice when you're using cloth is either start with a pure piece or start with a dirty piece. If you start with a dirty piece, you can't make anything out of it. You put it in red dye, yellow dye, blue dye, make a shirt, make a vest. Looks ugly no matter what. And the dye doesn't take. Sewing it is, is useless. But when you have a pure piece of cloth, you can put it in any color. It doesn't matter what color. You can make a dress, you can make a shirt, you can make a flag, whatever you want to make. You have to start with the pure piece of cloth. This is why he said it, is because what we're doing is at the very basic level. You don't have to be a monk to appreciate the benefits of meditation, the benefits of the Buddha's teaching. Time of the Buddha, even the kings, these kings would uh, uh, appreciate the benefit. There was King Bimbisara, for example. He changed his whole way of, of being after he, he met the Buddha. To the point where his son, his son was... was under the influence of an evil monk, and his son asked him to give give me the kingdom. No, his son was plotting to kill him, that's what it was. Plotting to kill him to take over the kingdom. And he said, why does he want to kill me? He wants to kill you because he wants your he wants your kingdom. Well, give it to him. That's it. Give him your kingdom. Why? Because he, he had become a sodapanna. He, he had understood the Buddha's teaching for himself understood that nothing is worth clinging to. His mind was trained at that point. And so he was able to deal with anything, if even his own son wanting to kill him he could handle. This is what kamaniyang means. You can use it for anything. Because there, no, life is not easy, no? There's many difficult things we have to do. Studying is a good example. I'll give you a good anecdote. You want to, you don't believe me? I'm sure you all believe me, you've been practicing. You don't need my word on it, but when I went back, after I finished my first meditation course, I went back and changed my whole life. Gave up all my music collections, my guitar, uh, all my sports equipment, and uh, I went to live in a monastery. It's this little monastery. And I went to university. That year in university, I took 11 courses. At the end of the year, nine A pluses, one A and an A minus. And the A minus is because the teacher didn't like Buddhism. We didn't get along very well. That's, a, that's an example. Because everyday meditation, study and meditation, I learned how to study. I re retaught myself how to study. Before that, I would be 
you know, party, 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 cram. And this is, you can't do this. So you force your, you force it all in. You say, learn, 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 learn. It doesn't work. When you study and meditate, you learn how the mind works. You start to see, oh, yep, my mind is full now. When your mind is full, you stop studying. Take a meditation break. And, then when, and you know exactly. You, you, you're so clear in the mind that you know exactly when it's time to start again. It's very easy, actually. Your studying becomes easy, world becomes easy, work becomes easy. Everything becomes easy when the mind is trained. Life becomes easy. The, in fact, if you train yourself to, to a great extent, eventually life becomes, they say, uh, a blessing. For many people, life is a curse. Some people want to kill themselves. Even. Life is a curse for them because their mind is untrained. Anything comes and, oh, it's, it's terrible. They can't handle it. They get upset. They don't know how to deal with it. They don't have a means of dealing with it. If you train yourself in meditation, your life becomes a blessing for, for the world. If you've seen people who have been practicing for 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 years, they become a blessing for people. You see these, in Thailand, some meditation teachers here, these meditation teachers who have been for 20 years teaching, 30 years, our, our teacher, 60 years or something teaching, and now he's, everywhere he goes, he's, his life is just a blessing for himself and for other people. He's able to help a great number of people, and so the, and the world becomes. They say world becomes your oyster. No? There's anything you can. What are we talking about? We're saying uh, how uh, uh, we're talking about this this course I'm conducting over Skype, and I'm thinking that's interesting. And how 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 easy it all becomes. How easy life becomes. You have this this um, challenge. You know, some student and he wants to. He's practicing in this way. Okay, how do I deal with it? Whereas before, you'd be afraid. Well, if I say the wrong thing, maybe maybe he'll think I'm not a good teacher or so on. When when you when you practice meditation, when when you when you train your mind, you realize it doesn't. What what if he he thinks I'm a bad teacher. What if I give a talk tonight and you think I'm a useless teacher? And then you run away and you leave. I've had students, when I was in Thailand, many students ran away and I was devastated. One time I told all the meditators, because they, they, you couldn't control them. They tried, they would meet up and talk and sometimes a man and a woman in, like up on the view, like romantic view and you think, oh no, we're going to get in trouble for this. And so I would t tell them, no talking, no talking, and I would see them and I would tell them to talk. And they all just ran away. They said, we don't want this. And I was devastated. And I thought, oh no, all my students ran away. Were you there during that time? <laughs> she was at Doisutem. You know the view? Yeah. Sometimes we would have a man and a woman you know, sitting under the moon or something. 
Oh, and you think, oh, the abbot's not going to be happy about this. You know, she, you were one of the good ones. That's why I don't remember you so well. But I do. I remembered you in the morning, Kathy. I was just expecting someone else. So when you train the mind, you don't suffer from these things. We don't suffer from the vicissitudes of life. When things change, and, and life becomes easy. You deal with people, and they don't like what you do, and you, you make mistakes, no? Even an arahant can make mistakes. I'm sure of it. But, but when an arahant makes mistakes, I've seen Ajahn, my teacher, make, make mistakes. And it's, it's, it's wonderful to see him make a mistake. He doesn't care. He's, he, doesn't, he, doesn't, he doesn't try to hide it, but he doesn't feel bad. For, he doesn't hate himself for it. He just, he, he says, I made, you know, he says, oh, okay, yeah, it's not like that or something. And, and he, he moves on. He has no attachment to it. He'll, he'll give a talk, and sometimes his talks are, are, are a mess, really. He'll give a talk and then he'll forget where he was and he'll start talking about something else. Because he's, he, well, he's gotten old, but he's also very tired all the time from too much work. So I've heard of, I've got recordings of the talk and suddenly... But it was always good. Because, he, he'd, yeah, he'd stop halfway through and if you're, if you're a study monk, you'd get fed up with him. You'd think, guy can't even remember a list of five things. And what kind of a talk is this? He gets through three and suddenly he's talking about something else. But it was all Dhamma. So, okay, he's at three, and then boom, it's changing. Now, let's, this is a sign that this person is still clean. And so, okay, so now he's talking about something else, and it always was good. In the end, it was, let's practice meditation together. So this is what it means, that kamaniyang akkamaniyang. Train your mind, is what he's saying. Because when the mind is trained, This is what is truly useful. There's nothing more useful in the world than a trained mind. And the trained mind brings happiness. So this is very brief and, and part of the idea is to just show you what is Buddhism. These people wonder what is Buddhism. Now you see, wow, the Buddhism, the Buddha was, this is what we're practicing, this, is, this comes from the Buddha. So now we know, because some people will say, you know, meditation and Buddhism. Some people even say, I don't want to be I don't want to get into Buddhism, I'm just just interested in meditation, right? You were saying some people even get to that, but they get the view, the opposite view where they say they're not interested in Buddhism, they just want to practice meditation. And it's not that Buddhism is meditation and meditation is Buddhism, but where they meet that is, that is uh, the core. That is what most, what's most important. What's most important is not cultural Buddhism or traditional Buddhism or scholarly Buddhism and all meditations that have, have nothing to do with, with, with this, with the training of the mind. If it's just for the purposes of feeling peaceful for a while or for seeing special things, reading people's minds flying through the air, then it's not, not true meditation, not, not the most important meditation.
So now you can see the what did the Buddha teach? Well, we have at the very beginning of this book, Kamaniyang Akkamaniyang, what is most useful and what is most useless. The trained mind is most useful, the most useful thing in the world. And the untrained mind is the most useful. So when we practice, when our mind is uh, in the present moment, is seeing things clearly as they are, you, you can see for yourself, you don't need my word for it, even you've all been practicing enough to know this is the truth. There's nothing more important than this training that we're doing. You can feel for yourself how, how awesome is the power of just one moment of seeing things as they are. To the point that the Buddha said, one moment seeing things as they are is better than a hundred years of not seeing things as they are. If a person lives a hundred years but never sees things as they are, and better they, they were to only live one day and see things as they are. So, pep talk. Now we get on to the meditation practice. Start with mindful prostration and then walking and then sitting. <coughs> 